Well, hello everyone. Uh, JB here on Drive to Win. Yeah, I'm back inside the Win Las Vegas. Uh, it's been a busy week, obviously coming off the back of the Barcelona Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, but now I'm here in the studio talking about not just last week's race, but it's a big race internationally because it is the 100th anniversary of the famous Le Mans 24 Hours in France. And that is just in a few days coming up this weekend. Now, uh, I have a really fun guest on the show today, Danny Sullivan. Uh, I mean, I'll talk about him in a little bit, but he was sort of the poster child of how to be a cool racing driver back in the 80s, 90s. And one of those guys, you're like, guy, when I grow up, will I be as handsome as him? Will I be as fast as him? And will I get all the girls like he did? Anyway, he's one of the coolest cats I know. And he'll be on the show to talk about not just Formula One, but Le Mans and pretty much life inside the world of Formula One. Uh, but what a weekend we just had in Barcelona. First of all, I've always wanted to go to Barcelona. Apparently, it's it's one of the most fun cities in the world to go to. And when the Formula One circus lands, you could just see by all the social media, everybody had a good time. I mean, it's about great food, great people, great beaches. I mean, it's uh, and everybody there seemed to to look as though they were having the party of their lives, especially with the partisan crowd just getting so behind, you know, their two drivers, Alonso and Sainz. It was, uh, you could even see Carlos Sainz on the pre-grid show. He was just having the best time. The crowd were, were lifting his spirits and obviously the race didn't go his way, but uh, as someone said, it's probably worth an extra tenth a lap just to hear the roar of the crowd. And believe me, you can hear the roar of your home crowd above the noise of a Formula One engine. Just imagine that through the helmet. So that was a pretty cool thing. Um, 300,000 fans over the course of the weekend, 150,000 on race day alone. So it's showing Formula One just globally keeps breaking all records attendance-wise. And it's not just from the fans, it's from the sponsors, it's everyone involved. So Barcelona's on track, keeping the trend of Formula One heading in that uphill trajectory. Um, of course, when you have to look at the race, uh, you could say it was a little bit boring if you look at it just on the top level, because there are two races, aren't there? There's the one that is won by Max. Uh, it's the Max show. It's the Max race. He had the Grand Slam. I mean, he was fastest. I think in every session, he uh, obviously had pole position. He led every lap. He won the race. And then right at the end, just as if to stamp his feet all over the neck of the competition while they're down uh, on the radio. He's like, the Christian Horner's saying, you know, don't, you don't need to go any faster. And he's like, I've got more. And he just lays down the fastest lap and takes the point for that. So no wonder he, he was having a good time. And it is not as easy as it looks. I was reflecting on it during the race. You could say, you know, watch his hands on the wheel. They're barely moving. It's just so fluid. It's just so nice. Uh, but he is still pushing because that's the only way he knows how. And sometimes the worst moments can come in a race car when you're told to back down and stick to a pace. But he didn't have to go that fast. But I think in a Formula One car on the level, the Red Bull works in that zone when it is pushed to the limit. And as you can see, he kept on exceeding track limits. And, getting the, and he got a black and white flag, which was basically saying one more and you're going to get a five-second penalty. Well, they could have given him a 25-second penalty and it wouldn't have made a difference. But it just shows the level of excellence he continues to perform at. 
And uh, he wasn't even apparently aware, as you could hear on the radio, that he was putting his all four wheels across the line there. But you could say, why? Well, why not? He just, he only knows one thing, and that is to literally crush everybody else. Um, and the other race. Well, the other race uh, was won by Lewis Hamilton. And uh, it really is a shifting uh, musical chairs on who is going to be the best of the rest. And it's this year sort of parallels last year a little bit in the fact that Mercedes came on strong around the same time last year. It wasn't a, a fortune tell of what was going to happen the rest of the season, but it did show that Mercedes had uh, something uh, to, to bring to the table. This week, though, I think we really saw a lot more about that. The results of Mercedes coming on strong really is the dedication and the work ethic, not necessarily more than any other team, but it's the teamwork, actually, of Lewis and George Russell that is relentless in their approach and how they continue uh, on a daily basis to grind away. And Lewis often reflects on it in his interviews. He said, we know how to work hard. And I think at the end of the race, the way he always credits the folks back at the factory in Woking really isn't just, you know, casual words. He means it. Everybody in that team is grinding away towards uh, getting their car to the front of the grid. And, you know, my view is, is that it's not just a reflection of that work, but it's, you know, they bought those updates. They got changes to the, the floor, which, as we always talk about, is one of the fundamental um, elements to 60% of the performance of these cars aerodynamically comes from the floor. But also they had new suspension parts, upgrades. And as a philosophy, design and engineering-wise, it's obviously heading in the right direction. Uh, but of course, are they the new challenges in waiting? Are they rather like Aston with Alonso was able to, to get on the podium in, in all the first four races? Are they going to be the ones for the next middle part of the season? I, I don't think so because it's not, as Lewis said, it's not such a move ahead that they can consistently be there. But, you know, I think they, they're definitely on the right path. And Lewis knows how to dominate too. And let's remember that. He had his own era of dominance when Max was first coming into Formula One and it was Lewis we saw almost with apathy getting out of the car, having won yet another Grand Prix and another title. And so Lewis has not lost any of that hunger. He wants to be back there. Um, but there was something that really caught my eye and that was on Friday, they were very worried they'd even get through uh, Q3 on the Saturday qualifying. And Mick Schumacher went into the sim, obviously they have these multi-million dollar sims, not like we can have a home, uh, but he went into the sim in Woking and back at the factory and was able to fine-tune the handling of the car uh, and all the changes they'd made and wanted to make. He did it basically overnight. So when the, the guys turned back up at the track the next morning, they had a new car set up to, to put on both cars and it immediately made a change. And it just was, it just really just blew my mind that you can have that level of uh, synchronicity between the virtual world and the re real world. And I know we can play on our Sims at home and enjoy crashing into the wall and everything, but they, and, and beating and beating other people, but they, they're actually able with the precision of that to affect literal changes in the car setup that go on to benefit them 
in the real world. And uh, both drivers credited Mick uh, a huge amount with that, which is nice to see because obviously he lost his seat last year with Haas and now he's playing a, a vital role in the background and continuing his own Formula One education, which probably means we'll see him back in a seat next year. Um, team rivalry, I think, is, I mean, I mentioned it last week, but we're going to continue to see that evolving through the year. And at the moment, we've got all these buddy-buddy rivalries uh, or teammate bonds up and down the pit lane, and you're going to see some fracturing of that. But I don't think so with the Mercedes guys. They had that mishap. On, in qualifying when they bumped into each other going down the front straight. Because they, if you notice when you watch qualifying and really try and get into it, because uh, it becomes quite fascinating, the, the strategy, they have to pull to the side in the way they build up temperature in their tires. And after they've done a fast lap to have a slow one and then go again. And they really have to be cognizant of the traffic. And to be honest, uh, George didn't was not informed Lewis was on his way and he didn't pull over deliberately, but they touched wheels, broke, Lewis's front uh, end plate on the front wing, and it could have been a bloody horrific crash. I mean, both cars upside down, it could have been. Um, but in fact, it, it obviously, Lewis was a bit stunned by it, but they settled it. They knew what had happened. There was no blame. And that shows to me the the strength of of commitment of both those drivers, and they know what they're aiming for, right? They know that they've got to get themselves. Uh, it's all about team performance. So that is an example of great teamwork, but one that I just thought about watching the race on Sunday was in Aston Martin. Is it going to be, uh, are we going to start to see some, I don't know, weird team dynamics? Because you've got Alonso. Yeah, he didn't have a great race this weekend. Uh, and for some reason, they were off pace compared to the, the first part of the season. But you've got Lance. Um, even I mean, he was, I thought he was exceptional at the start and the way he held off Lewis and uh, had a real go at him. And I, I was pretty impressed by that. But over the course of the season, his performances really don't match that of his teammate. And uh, even when your dad owns the team, you've got to you've got to think to yourself, that's going to bring in, it's going to definitely bring in some weird team dynamics because it's all all hanging on Alonso at the front. And without doubt, if there were two drivers of Alonso's caliber in that team, they would be really not just competing for overall results at a high level, but manufacturer points would be better. And of course, you need your teammate there to spar with the opposition to, in at times, create uh, opportunities, you know, through strategy. So uh, let's watch that space. But I guess your dad owns the team. It's pretty hard. Um, and Ferrari, it's just, that's that was sort of my hollow pit in my stomach moment. What is happening? I mean, it was an appalling weekend. I mean, Carlos Sainz, he did qualify well. And as I said, I think the the opportunity at the start of the race to, you know, in qualifying to get yourself up at the front, we know the car can do it. Charles Leclerc has been outstandingly quick across one lap, but it just falls apart in the race and uh, it goes all over the place. And, and you've got to kind of wonder why. And even they don't know why. They don't know why. Uh, Fred Vasseur said, it's just down to consistency. We just don't have any consistency. All that money and all that knowledge, you know they're going to get it right at some point. But how do they keep messing up, I guess, especially on strategy calls, bringing drivers in at the wrong time, um, which they did during that race to the hard tires. It, you kind of, uh, you sit on the sofa uh, getting pretty frustrated about it. But 
They are, it is the red team that everybody would love to see back at the front. So I am sure that we will see an improvement in Ferrari at some point. Maybe that's just optimism. Maybe that's just the little kid in me that would, would love to see it. But boy, it's not a, it wouldn't be a fun place on a, on a Monday morning to be with them. So my, my guest for today, uh, Danny Sullivan, is just one of those guys that really has uh, had a, a bigger presence in the world of motorsports than maybe just even his results showed. Um, he had 17 wins in the car, IndyCar series. He was perhaps most famous in 1985 for his Indy 500 win when coming off the of turn four, he spun the car got it straight again and went over the line to win. He got known as Danny Spin to win. And that was one of the most watched TV moments of all time when it came to the Indy 500 history. Uh, certainly even back in England, uh, we got to see that. Uh, he also won the 1988 Kart Championship and finished third in the points in 1986. Uh, he won in IROC. He's also, uh, he did compete in Formula One 1983 with Tyrrell. He scored two championship points. Uh, we're going to chat to him a little bit about that. But maybe more interestingly for this show, he's played quite a big role over the years as a Formula One steward. Uh, we keep hearing about those guys on the broadcast and, you know, it's gone to the stewards. It's under review by the stewards. Uh, no uh, further penalty by the stewards. What is that process? How many people do it? I, I can't wait to find out. Uh, he's also been an actor. He was uh, kind of playing a drug-dealing race driver uh, on Miami Vice back in the day. So Danny kind of has done it all. Uh, he's a super guy, big in the historic car scene now uh, and motorbikes. We get to see him at all the events. Um, very pleased to welcome Danny. Danny, welcome to Drive to Win. Good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while. You, I actually found a photograph of you. I do need to print out. Do you remember it was at that, uh, it was like the Concours they did of motorbikes up in at Pebble Beach. Must have been five right. years ago, and I was shooting with my Hasselblad, and I got this really cool picture of you, like draped. You were you were showing a bike. I, I think you were actually. Oh to wow! It. Yeah, yeah. It's just really good. You look. It's, you kind of look. No, a little, like yeah, a little Stallone-ish in it. It's kind of you got you got it going. <laughs> Not that that's always a compliment, but you look good. Well, I appreciate you saying so. Yeah. At, well, let's, at this age, I'll take any compliment we can get. Right. We have to. Well, that was what I said. You you were the guy in the eighties that most drivers. And 90s, most young guys were like, God, if I could come back as Danny Sullivan, I would. Man. I mean, <laughs> you, were the, you were the guy. I actually got that a little bit from uh, Cool Tart at, uh, when I was over in Monaco last week. I went to the BRDC um, lunch, and it was just a hoot and a half. I mean, oh, I he's bet. a great president, and they had Mark Weber and, and McNish and Eddie Jordan and it just the list just went on. It was it was fabulous. I bet. Well, talk about that. You you go to the Grand Prix still in an official capacity or just as as a layman? No, I go. I do about uh, four or five, sometimes up to six a year for the FIA as a Formula One driver steward. Yeah. Um, just for most people out there, and, and shockingly, even. Eddie Jordan didn't realize that the, the stewards didn't make all the decisions. And, and actually, we don't make that many. But when you see something that's under investigation yeah. or noted, we have been asked by the race director 
who may have been asked by a team to look into a certain situation or whatever. Okay. Now we're four stewards. There's a chairman, a second in command, a driver steward, and then one four steward who's from the local ASN, whatever. And that steward could be um, a very high ranking steward mm. in his own country, but, but he's also an international steward. Um, so oftentimes you get somebody very, very qualified in that position, or sometimes you get somebody that's, that has a little less experience. And then the four stewards review everything. We have one IT guy that sits in the room. Harrison goes, pulls up everything. We've got all the data that you can imagine. We've got, we've got access to like 130 or 140 cameras, um, throttle uh, pressure, brake control, uh, brake pressure, steering input, in-car cameras, you name it, we've got the, the data to try to make a decision um, as efficiently and as quickly as possible. Some of them we take a long time because we want to interview uh, the drivers or, or or the teams over a certain situation where, where the decision is not uh, paramount that you make it as fast as possible. Um, so it's very democratic. And by the way, there's often times where I'll have an opinion and I'm supposed to be looking at it from a driver's perspective. Yeah. And I'll have an opinion and say, da da da, this is my argument for it. And I'll get overturned. Will you? I'll get overturned. The other three say, yeah, because there's four people that vote. And, uh, you know, typically the driver input when it comes to a driving infraction, uh, carries most most of the weight, but it's not always that always the case. Because and, you um, you you have to you know jump in here. You as a as a driver, you you can put yourself in the seat right and go. You know what it's like with those tiny mirrors. You know, being told no one's coming and you're in the tunnel and suddenly. There are people coming, right? I mean, yeah. You, you, well, you've been there. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think what's happened too—that's it. First of all, you're 100 percent correct. The vision out of those cars with the mirrors, with all the bodywork, and and the cars are massive too. Yeah. And the size of the tires now, and the size of the tires—it's a big factor. They can't always see uh, somebody coming. The problem is they've become so dependent on the engineers telling them what's going on around the track. And I'm not making excuses for the drivers. The, the, the tire manufacturers, they want to save the tires. They don't, they slow down. They want to pick up the speed. They're trying to, they're trying to get the heat in the tires at this time. There's so many things going on in those cars and around those cars being directed by the engineers that it's, it's no wonder that we don't have more situations yeah. that are impeding. It, it's I mean, just, it's, they're in a very difficult situation, but, but it's also something that, and I know you were referring to like Leclerc and, yeah. and Norris at Monaco. And now that that's out and everything, I, I can easily talk about it. But uh, Leclerc was so upset that he got that fast, uh, you know, he, he'd been on pole for not very long. Then he got demoted to second, and he was yelling about that. And they were more talking about, well, where's where Verstappen? Where's Alonzo? You know, on the track. They didn't see that Norris, remember, he had had the crash earlier. So he had gotten out and at, late into that qualifying session, the last qualifying session, and was on a hot lap. And, and then you compound it with, You've just gone into the tunnel from sunshine into darkness. You're you're kind of looking ahead. You're going back and forth on the radio, 
And then Norris comes in there, and sadly, nobody was paying attention. And when they gave the word to Leclerc, and and uh, Charles did the right thing. He pulled further to the left. He was already uh, middle left, he, and he tried to accelerate to get out of the way, but it was damage was already done. Uh, Norris had had to lift off on a fast lap, and as you know, as well as anybody, when you once you lift it off, especially on a qualifying lap, you're toast. Yeah, toast. you know that that lap that lap's gone, and the checkered flag was was out. So yeah. you know, so it was so unfortunately, there was no choice left. There was no alternative left to to not penalize not him. Penalize him. That's one of the and, things that is messy, Danny. Right the. The, the way they're having to, you hear them on the radio, you're going to do a fast, slow, fast, right? They're going to go out and do yep. a build up this tire management, getting the tires in. And it's not just superficially, right? It's not just, it's got to be the core of the carcass of the tire has to get up to temperature to, to be able to operate. And obviously there are drivers that do that better than others. And it means, it reminds me a bit of MotoGP. I've seen that in qualifying in person and you go, wow, they just, and on bikes, it's easier, right? They can just pull off and they kind of have this, they look like fish going past each other. But it, as you say, Formula One cars are really wide. They're really long. And on the street circuits, it, it's almost inconceivable to me that they do that pulling over to the side while they're managing their tires while someone else is on a fast lap because it shows the commitment level. You must just do what I do and hold your breath, right? You go, how are you keeping it wide open around the outside of those cars? Which you didn't even, you knew they were there, yeah. but you hadn't sighted them yet. One day you're going to have a bloody massive crash, I think. Well, I think the, the problem on the tire situation and the engineering side to get the, the problem for me, I think the cars are so designed so perfectly to run at an optimum level. That when they slow down, that's why they have trouble in a yellow situation where when they're running behind a, a pace car. And by the way, you want to go around a track in that Mercedes or Aston Martin pace car because they, they rotate them with Burnt Mindlander in the thing where he's driving like this yeah. on the limit. I've, I've ridden around with him. And by the way, and they're saying, well, he's going too slow. It's like, well, the guy can't go any faster, yeah. you know, unless you give him unless you give him a race car. And even then, you forget that the reason they're behind a pace car is usually a yellow, so they're cleaning up something. So you don't want to be going, you know, mock Schnell anyway. You're trying to keep the pace at a stop. It's a very difficult situation for all involved, from the drivers in particular, trying to manage all that stuff. And you've seen the steering wheels now and go to this, go to that, and this information, that information. I mean, they're they're flying a video game, yeah. you know, and they're driving a video game at, at like you said, at a speeds that are unbelievable. And not all the tracks are wide open. Monaco is a particularly difficult track there. I mean, but you, I think what they're going to have, have to find a way to do is keep the, the I, I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying. You're going to have to find a way to keep a minimum speed up. Uh, otherwise, the impeding is not going to get less. And as you said, you know, it could eventually cause an accident, which we don't want to, you know, see or hear about. But that's, uh, you know, I, I hope that they'll find a way around it. It just made me think, Danny, when you were saying that, that it's really a privilege, right, for you. Think of, you're getting an insight into the technology of Formula One and the demands on those drivers and what they're dealing with, the data streams that they're, they're not just 
the cars are producing, but also feeding back to the driver. Um, I love it when you hear all the different settings and maps. Sometimes you think they're just screwing with each other, right? For the radio, you know, it's got a, you know, strategy Y. You're like, what happened to the other 23? Um, you know, just kind of, <laughs> it's kind of mad. Um, do you sometimes yeah. go, I mean, you were, you were a driver in the analog era. You were a driver when you yeah. had attack. I mean, it was, you, you, it was I just, had like two buttons, a radio and, and, and there was an off on switch, you know, just about, but, but again, they're growing up under that level, you know, yeah. you're getting that with qualifying and, and qualifying, especially now for young guys, uh, young drivers in the Formula three, Formula two, um, that are trying to qualify with very little time on the track. They've done a lot in the sim. And then you think of Monaco, okay, there's 20 Formula One cars out there, but there was 30 Formula Three cars out there, yeah. 30. Wow. I mean, they did break them up into two sections, but, you know, a guy slows down by, maybe he's got a little too much understeer or he has to slow down a bit. I mean, it can cost you, a, a, you know, four or five positions. And there's a lot at stake. I mean, let's not forget that, Okay, Red Bull's dominant, and we've seen that in the past with Red Bull, with Mercedes, with different makes and manufacturers over the years. McLaren, you know, everybody's had their different days, Ferrari, um, and some of the Schumacher, and so forth. But the points are worth a lot of money, a lot of money. And so when you're when you're fighting over, I don't want to say the scraps, but when you're fighting further down that list, you know, with some of the uh, the teams that are midfield or, or back, uh, a point and battling for those stuff, that's critical. You get, you know, you get a seventh and eighth or, a, um, you know, sixth and an eighth or ninth and a tenth. That's worth millions of dollars to those teams in the, in the long run. And so they're, they're all fighting uh, just as hard back there. And, and, you know, we've both been back there. Mm. Okay, you're fighting just as hard, if not harder, than the guys at the front, and uh, I, you know, and I applaud them and those teams, and they're all the effort that goes into this is unbelievable. Plus, they're doing 23 races a year. I know, you know, wild, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. The, the economics of it and everything, it, it is such a. We forget that you know that's why the elation to get tenth place and suddenly you know it's like a win for a smaller team, isn't it? Um, yeah, but let's absolutely. talk. Let's talk Barcelona. Uh, I mean, I said at the top of the show. Obviously, it's the Red Bull uh, show of, of force, but the rest of the race was very, in, very interesting. Gave insight into maybe how this mid season's going to go. Uh, what was your take on it, uh, especially um, Mercedes? Because uh, second and well, third. I think you know. I think that Mercedes hopefully. Uh, the changes, I don't think they're there yet because I think Max has a lot in hand. Uh, I think the last two weekends, Monaco and Barcelona, Sergio's kind of messed up, uh, you know, and I'm not putting the blame all on him, although I would put Monaco, that was all on him. Um, he didn't need to do that at that juncture, you know, to throw it in the fence like that. Um, I don't know what happened with them in the qualifying, uh, you know, to, for him to be so far down. Um, but anyway, they could have some hiccups as time goes on. So I like to see Mercedes get stronger. I thought George and, uh, was very strong, as was Lewis. Uh, great result on their part. Ferrari and I would say McLaren seemed to be fast, but maybe a one or, one or two lap uh, sensation. Yeah. They don't seem to be able to maintain it. 
um, and, and have it in a race pace. And uh, I think if we're going to really see pressure applied to Max and to Red Bull, people are going to have to start pushing him during the race, just not be able to drive it as easy as he wants. We've seen that, though, in the past with, mm. with Lewis. I mean, you know, and stuff can happen. They can have an unreliability. But I like to see some of the uh, – I thought that uh, Haas team showed some speed. Unfortunately, I don't think they ended up with the r- results that they wanted, but I think they've shown some speed there with Hulkenberg um, and with um, K-Pak. Um, Let's see who, you know. I mean, Alpine, uh, I Alpine, that, that's the Alpine a, thing Alpine. is maybe one of the strongest yeah. stories to be showing, right? Because Monaco yeah, and, and now here. And I think they, I think last year we saw some of that from Alpine and then they kind of fell down a little bit and now they seem to have come back. And I th- I'd like to see them back in the hunt. And I think Ocon's doing a great job and, and Gasly stepped up. So um, it'd be nice to see those are two good, young, fiery drivers, mm. and um, Ocon's a good racer, so is Gasly. I mean, you know, they've both been winners in the past, so they got the capabilities to do that. So I think hopefully the we, – we got hey, – by the way, let's not forget, we got a lot of season left, so a lot can happen, and I would like to get see them get a little bit stronger. Um, and I think certain tracks, Montreal will be interesting. Um, you know, I, I think we've got an exciting season coming. I don't think Red Bull – has got is going to win every race. Could they? They've sure shown the speed. And let's not forget, as the other ones improve, even with Red Bull's um, penalty from last year, and and also the lack of of uh, they get reduced some anyway by being champion. Um, they're a little bit less um, wind tunnel and and some of the other fluid dynamic stuff that they do. But let's also consider they have the best in Adrian Newey. Yeah, they do. Bar none. Yeah, yeah, you know, and we, he's been around, we all know him. I mean, he's a fabulous guy. He's not a guy sitting back on his laurels. He's always looking, trying to find ways to improve. And these guys are proven winners. They've, they've won six world championships, uh, four with, uh, Verstappen. I mean, two with Verstappen Mm -hmm. and, uh, four with Vettel. So these guys are proven winners. Yeah. And, and we see a lot of the, the shifting, you know, they're talking about, oh, they got this guy poached and that got poached in different places. But let's not forget, they did a lot of poaching back in the day themselves, hence Nui. Um, they took a lot of the engine people from Mercedes uh, engine department over to their yeah. engine program. So yeah. I think that's musical chairs as it as as a standard. So Yeah, my that was a good great insight. Thank you. The my girlfriend said something this on Sunday when we were watching the race, she said, so how good are all the drivers across, equally across things? If you put them all in the same car, it sounds like IROC, doesn't it? Um, If you put them all in the same car, who would, who would win? And it's such a good point because, uh, you know, it's like the race of champions that everyone goes to. And, um, you know, you have like Andy Prio would beat Michael Schumacher, right? Andy isn't known to the Formula One guys, but he's one of the best touring car drivers in history and he'd beat Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Loeb would beat, you know, uh, Alonso. It's, it's kind of wild. But when you look at the Formula One grid, every one of those guys in any other form of racing would be as good as they get, right? I mean, you get to see their data. Right. They are, they're all right. supremely talented. But if you had to line them in identical equipment, how would, what would the top three look like? 
Um, I think it'd probably look about like the grid <laughs> that you're there, that you're that you're looking at, and that's not taking anything away from them. Look, Justin, you've you've raced, you know, all your life and so forth. Uh, you've been around with your dad. You've been around it your entire life. It's not just the talent, as you said, Andy Prio, fabulous guy, great driver, and so forth. But everybody gets in their discipline. And then even when you get in your discipline, you have to find the bonding inside that team. And that's true in the NFL, NBA, whatever sport you're playing, um, you know, World Cup soccer, uh, Premier League, all that stuff. It's finding that chemistry that you work within that certain environment that helps to bring it out. Um, and I look back at Alan Prost, for example. And he was great with Ron Dennis, and Ron had his arm around him and stuff like that. But then he went over to Frank Williams, and Patrick had those guys were a little bit tougher, and they didn't put their arm around him and so forth, and he, he didn't do as well as he should have done. So I think that environment and fitting in that environment and fitting with your engineer and the people and everything is part of what brings it, brings it to the top. So I don't think that you could just take a driver – uh, and I'm not going to use a name, but in a, in a mid-pack car or last car and put him automatically up to, um, you know, Red Bull or Mercedes, and he wouldn't necessarily go out and beat, beat Max or beat Lewis. We forget that part of the reason that George did so well when he replaced Lewis in Bahrain uh, when he had the, I think he had COVID, and he replaced him in that. What we forget that, that, George was a test driver for Mercedes. So when they did a lot of the test, preseason testing at Barcelona and all that, he would be the driver for the third day. So he was already comfortable in the car, comfortable with the team. They all knew each other, everything like that. So it was just like sliding over to, you know, uh, another team. Yeah. It, it was just completely different for him. But I'm not, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I don't think you could take uh, K-Mag K and, and put and put him in the Red Bull and the first day he'd be right there on, yeah. on top of the sheet, okay? Would he figure it out? Would he work his way into it? Yes. But I don't think it's, it's, an, it's an easy transition. And so I think, um, I think that's why the race of champions is, uh, is such a good format. And they, how many different cars do they, or vehicles, because they're not all cars, but like three, right? uh, they do the buggies mm -hmm. and different, they, yeah. they drive three or four different vehicles, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. So it so doesn't I, just favor the rally driver and it doesn't just favor the road. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, exactly. And I did, I did IROC and, and unfortunately it ended up uh, pretty much uh, more of a NASCAR centric because yeah. we were doing them on the ovals. The drivers were half of them were uh, from the cup series and we were in their backyard. And so drafting was a big, a big deal. And they, they do it. I mean, I remember looking in my mirrors at one of the races one time and the guy's got his arm over the roll bar in the back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that I'm, I'm to, holding on with both, exactly. with both hands. That know? said that he was no. on the banking with Earnhardt and he, and he's just like, the guy's screwing with me. He's just making me lose. He's making me push. And dad's and just got a big old grin on his face. And my dad's holding on. Yeah. So it's the last thing he's ever going to do. Yeah. That's, but that was Dale. I yeah, mean, that he was, was Dale. He was, a hoot, yeah, he was a hoot and a half and well, very talented. Very talented. Anyway. Well, uh, j let's jump back quickly to 83 when you were with Terrell. A year in Formula One. 
Um, what's your overriding memory of that year? Making it to Formula One, driving with Terrell, big brand name in in the sport. You know, what's uh, what's your sort of memory of of that time? Well, I think um, remember that was the start of the turbo era. Okay. So some of the cars with the Renault was turbocharged, the BMW was turbocharged, but then there was uh, uh, the McLaren, uh, the Williams, uh, the Tyrrell were still normally aspirated. Um, and so it, it was one of those deals where it was, um, it was fun. We were a little underpowered. I had a lot to learn. Ken was great. Um, and I've known Ken, one of the first people I ever knew in racing because of my mentor, Frank Faulkner. Um, and Michele Alboreto was a super teammate. I knew most of the mechanics uh, because they had been there back when I was a gopher for the team. There was a few new faces, but I, but I knew everything. So it was very comfortable. And again, back to that thing of, of stepping into a team. But unfortunately, I also, um, I probably didn't uh, handle it. I was probably a little bit too distracted. I had some stuff going on with, with uh, Garvin Brown and the racing back in America. And, um, you know, I needed to be a little bit more focused on the thing. So I look at some of them as my own mistakes. But I, um, And I think if I had been a better winner, um, I, I, I would have found a way to beat Keke Rosberg in the race of champions where we had that great dice on the last lap. Um, I'm not saying I would have done it, but it just, I, I just think I could have made, when I look back on it, even when I finished the race, I thought it should have been a little uh, charged a little harder here and there and done a few things different, but that's, that's always in time. But I had that great start from last in Monaco when it was raining. Of course, they didn't do the pit stops the way they do them now. Mm. So I started from dead last on slicks in the rain. And I didn't really want to choose that, but Ken Terrell said you're choosing the drives because it's going to stop raining. Um, those first kind of 22 laps were a little bit hairy, to say the least. Uh, I remember Elio DeAngelis looking over at me. Uh, he was in the JP uh, John Player Special Lotus yeah. on the on the other side, and he looks over at me, hold, holding it up, and he goes, "Are you crazy? Oh, wow. you're the point of the tires." Um, but it was a great uh, experience, and to come from last to finish fifth um, was was I, I kind of wound up Jonathan Wheatley, uh, the uh, team manager at uh, Red Bull. I said, "So Sergio is starting the same spot as I am. Are you expecting him to finish fifth? And anyway, it was just kind of fun, fun times. But it, yeah, and then we and one of the best races I had, which I didn't score any points. I would have scored points. In the current format, but remember, points only went to sixth place. Yeah. Um, and I, I had to start from the pit lane in South Africa at Kailami and ended up finishing seventh. And that was really uh, a special race because we were normally aspirated. Kailami's at altitude, so the turbos really had dominance over us. Um, and that was a great drive for me to come back from that and finish seventh in that race. But of course it didn't score any points. So that makes no difference. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just, and, and something that they had then, which I was going to touch on, that was when we still had qualifying time. Okay. Totally true. And yeah. they were one lap and on a turbo car, they'd be lucky if they got the whole lap in without chewing up the tires, but they were five seconds five seconds a lap faster than the 
than the B compound. Five seconds. Every think about this. Think about this. Every corner was one gear higher. I mean, the car must have handled so differently. What about the braking points? What I mean, you you had to same have same two, same same thing. Two gears same in thing. your mind, right? You got qualifying mindset, and then you got your race mindset. And, and by the way, there's no way to test it. You don't get to practice. We weren't practicing Whoa. qualifying on qualifying tires. So it was kind of go out and stand on the gas Hail and Mary go. And go. Jeez, Danny, that's yeah. wild. Yeah. Well, and geez. so but I see that, but I see that. And let's not forget that was that was what cost Villeneuve his life mm. at uh, in Belgium. Yeah. At uh because remember they were saving the tires. They were going so slow. And and um, he was on a fast lap, and I think it was Jochen Mass was slowing down, and uh, you know because he was he wasn't going at speed yet. He was trying to save the tires, and Villeneuve and Villeneuve ran over his rear. Yeah, and went out. Well, that's kind yeah. of that's kind of a so good it's just crazy. so I when we're talking about that, that's a concern with the speed differential right now totally. and what everybody's go and everybody's going through. So I'm I mean, listen, they're all very professional and so far touch wood, but you know you just don't want to see that. But anyway, that was a that was a different era. Yeah, different era, and so, just in you know as you said it. It was so analog. Once you go by and you saw your pit board and that was it, you were in silence pretty much for the rest of the lap. Now they know they know if the driver, you know, shrugs his shoulders in the car, they can feel everything and they can see everything. So it and they still have close calls. So it just shows it is still down to human error. Um but, crazy. But let's not forget too, those those cars are four hundred pounds heavier than when we raced them, and they're a third longer. A third. Wild. Yeah, they look like they spread and morphed into the floor, don't they? They're just they just like fluid yeah. almost. That's crazy. I went to the I went to the Ferrari factory when we were rained out, flooded out in Imola, and we went over there just uh, myself and Dennis Dean to to just get a tour of the race shop and and so forth. And when you get down next to the car, it's like, oh my gosh, is this thing massive? And yet the gearbox. It, I don't. I think my phone weighs as much as the as the as the Ridiculous. shell for the gearbox, really? the casing for the gearbox. I mean, it's just they're in the the intricacy and the design and the and the precision is mind boggling. Yeah, mind boggling. You can see where they spend you the know? money, right? You can see it. Yeah, yeah. anything well, small time. and lightweight costs money. Exactly. Yeah, crazy. Welcome to racing. Welcome. To, well, you mentioned you mentioned. Um, Gilles Villeneuve, obviously they go, the next race is at the circuit, Gilles Villeneuve in Canada. Um, a great track, obviously one of the most, isn't it? I think uh, the most uh, visited Formula One tracks, you know, in history. It's Everybody loves going drive, driving there. I think they've only missed four years since the 70s. Um, we're going to, we saw a lot of upgrades, people, people doing a lot of work, uh, uh, bringing them into Barcelona, should have the chance to refine that data and feedback and make across the field make things better going into Canada uh, but it'll be an, I think Red Bull as we know will be at the front but um, you know as you say it's who will will Aston Martin be able to pull it back will Mercedes be able to be as consistent with the two cars it's going to get very hot for those second third fourth fifth places isn't it right yeah I think that that bunch is almost as competitive as ever yeah I think um, Aston 
had a little bit. They should have. I thought they were going to be more competitive. Barcelona. They dropped it just a little bit. Mm. I was glad to see Lance get it back on track because uh, he had had a couple tough races prior to that. Um, just because of getting a, having an issue in qualifying. So I think we're going to maybe maybe Max is out there, um, but. I think this track's going to be this. This track's going to be good. I, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to some a couple people. I'm not going to mention names in Formula One, and I said, "Is there? You know, because everybody says, okay, it's the DRS or it's this or it's that." And I said, "What do you think?" I said, "In reality, typical Adrian, he got the whole package right. Mm-hmm. Everything, just all the pieces are are put together. So I think it's going to be hard." To we may see at certain tracks where one of the challengers gets a little closer to to Red Bull. Uh, we may see if Max has a problem, although he had a problem in qualifying, didn't affect him in the race in Miami. He started eighth. Remember mm-hmm. he had a he had a problem down there, and he ended up starting eighth. But he he knifed his way through the field pretty quickly. So I don't think that they have a real weakness right now. Um, the biggest weakness is if they had a mechanical and it dropped them back, uh, which we've seen in the past and even with the strongest of teams, um, you know, if they get something like that, somebody starts putting some pressure on them, they make a mistake, they're forced into something. You know, it's it's a lot easier to make great calls when you're not under pressure. Yep. That's what it I said. They've got, they got to be, they got to be, even if it's a, a 10 second back in second place, there's pressure applied, right? A bad pit stop, a bad yeah. call. So we'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun race. But Danny, it is the hundredth running this weekend of the Le Mans twenty four hours. Uh, you've done it four times. You finished um, second there. Well, yeah, you finished podium no, in nineteen ninety four. Third, third. Um, right. It's gonna be by all accounts the most epic Le Mans. It's sold out. One hundred eighty six drivers. There's ten X Formula One drivers in it. You got the Garage Fifty Six with Hendrix and the whole of the IMSA crew, John Doonan, everybody behind it, Jim France. It's it, on every level, including being sold out. It's it's positioning itself to be the best. Um, Le Mans. What does it mean as a driver to 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 stand on the podium in, in any anyone's career? Well, for me, Le Mans is maybe the favorite race of one race that I would do in my entire career. Wow. It was just, it was the ambiance. It was the, uh, the location. It was the town of Le Mans. It was everything that went with it. Um, it was just one of those, I, don't misunderstand me. I love Indy, you know, winning it, everything that goes with it, Formula One, all that kind of stuff. But Le Mans is just, unique it's just it's special and they're all special indy special monaco special in their own in their own way but lamont was was one that i wish uh, i'd had a better result and ironically i did the scrutineering in the town remember it was the dower porsches it was two factory cars and then i got back to the track before the first practice and Yannick Dalmas and Mauro Baldi and I were in the car, and they were two short guys. And I get in the car, and they had locked the seat, couldn't <laughs> change the seat in the 962. And I told uh, Hare Singer, who was the chief design uh, guy who was one of the best, and I said, look, I can't drive this car for 
24 hours, maybe, you know, one stent, maybe, but my knees are jammed up on this. So they took Hurley Haywood, who was driving with Stuck and Bootson, which are both tall guys, and they put Hurley over in the car, and Hurley, very prophetic, said, he says, one of us is going to be very happy. That's and they won. We finished they third. Won. We had uh, we were leading, had and we had uh, a number. We lost about ten laps through a puncture, and the bodywork came different things. But um, but it was but it was just a special time. And you know, and also I drove for them. I drove for Jaguar. I drove for Bigazi with the BMW, the McLaren BMW factory car, uh, with PK and Johnny Chicago, and and so I and I drove a Ferrari. You know, it was just a. It was always a special experience for me, mm. and uh, I'm envious of everybody going. You in particular, you guys are going to have a great a time. It's going to be just phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'll be glued to the TV. <laughs> Trust exactly. me. I'm excited to to see the the hypercars. For everyone watching who follows Formula One in sports cars, they've come up with this hypercar LMDH, as we call it, uh, category, which is perhaps the best unification of worldwide sports car rules ever. And it's allowed them to, to bring these hybrid technology to, to sports cars. And Danny, the pace of these cars, arguably the closest to Formula One that a sports car's ever been with the technology and, you know, Toyota, Peugeot, Cadillac, uh, Glickenhaus. And I'm excited to see the Ferrari. Uh, yeah. It's, it's it's we're seeing this elevation of technology across the board, not just in Formula One, but to see those cars running there, and they—it's a sprint now. There is no mechanical drop-off, right? They just no. go flat out. But I was, in that BRDC lunch that I mentioned earlier, my right across from me was Brendan Hartley, mm-hmm. and you know we had a long talk about it. He said, and I said, well, you know, power-wise, and he said it is so. He said, if you get too far in front, they gener- they regulate the power uh, and they can monitor it through the- each wheel. So they so nobody can, all of a sudden, nobody's got a stronger engine. They can have a stronger package in certain areas. But he said the rules are very, very tight. And I think that's one of the things that's, that's special, too, is it's keeping it close, but it's allowing them all to push the envelope in some other areas. I think it's going to be fabulous. He, I asked Brendan which, which one he thought was the biggest threat um, for them, because obviously Toyota's got a leg up on everybody having been done it, doing it for longer. And he thought that the Ferrari was the most advanced. He thought Porsche was struggling a little bit. He said Peugeot was out, was way out, but I think they, they've made some gains. Cadillac was strong. I mean, look at us. We're just talking through all these names yeah, I know. and all these manufacturers. I think it's going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm so, um, you know, jealous of you going over and everybody that's going. I was with Stefan Johansson uh, recently down in Miami. He's going, obviously, his past winter. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be exciting. I've got to do something. That, Justin, as always, I'd like a rain check, but my I've got a dog and the vets are just about to show up to give her a I shot. Don't want, I don't. She, she likes dad to be there and help her uh, with the. <laughs> well, Danny, the I've shot. heard I've heard people say you know that uh, you know blame it on a friend, but if you want to blame it on the vet, you can go for your procedure. No, <laughs> my my dog's uh, is just such a big part of Brenda's my life, and, got to and do it. Uh, so we. Yeah. Well, before you before so, you jump, will you be officiate? Will you be steward at the Vegas race? 
No, we, believe it or not, I'll probably be there, but we're doing some extracurricular stuff. But um, the way it works is we put in our, not our request, but what what our availability is at the beginning of the year. And then they... uh, they pick it out. It's it's picked by the president, and he says, "Okay, these guys here, these guys there," and um, uh, you know, you kind of get it. And and sometimes you you trade it around a little bit because there is a conflict of interest will come up, and I'll move from I'll trade somebody for one to another. But uh, okay. that's how it works. Well, hopefully, week of Vegas, Grand Prix, we'll you can come and see me in here, and we can do this in person. Uh, all right. I'd I'd like to do that. Look forward to it. Take care, and buddy. Good luck. Good luck at Lamar. Best to all the family. And we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, man. See you later. Bye. Well, always great to talk to Danny. And, you know, it just shows X-Race drivers, once it's in the blood, uh, especially being able to be so close to it uh, as a steward, that was that was very insightful. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Well, it is in a little break for Formula One, the weekend off. It is the 100th of running of the Le Mans 24 hours, and I will be there. I leave uh, to Paris right after, after this show. Um, but let's talk about uh, the Las Vegas race. Uh, some great uh, online content coming out right now. Uh, EA Sports just revealed uh, a preview of their EA Sports F uh, F one twenty three, and it's set on the obviously on the streets uh, of Las Vegas. And it really was the first insight that we've had into what it'll look like. And just look at those graphics; it's unbelievable. They actually 3D scan using drones to get all the buildings right. And we're joining uh, one of the McLarens on the front straight there. Some of the Vegas landmarks going by, you can see it's just unbelievable. As you see the MSG sphere, you see the casinos. Um, This is going to be something special. I actually can't wait to play this, uh, play, drive, or whatever you call it. Um, And the release date is June 16th, which is next Friday. Just look at the quality level. Maybe we're not a high-paid Formula One driver, but we can give it a shot on EA Sports. So uh, everybody get out there. We've got the chance to know the track as well as the actual drivers do before they turn up for first practice. Anyway, a great, uh, great weekend of racing just gone. A huge one at Le Mans coming up. Uh, and we'll see you next week when I have the one, the only Mario Andretti joining me on uh, Drive to Win. And of course, talking about the win, Go to winlasvegas slash experiences slash F1 and see how you can come a part of the inaugural Grand Prix later in the year. Guys, have a great time this week and I'll see you next week.